0: Jump right into our lesson this morning. It's this morning, people. I didn't mess up when I said this morning. If we met in the afternoon, I still would have said this morning anyway, because that's just what I do. Um. Hey, we're gonna start a thre- a five-part series called Here as in Heaven. We're gonna play with this room and we're gonna play with the lights and the AV and all the stuff to make to like optimize it, but um. We are going to, uh, we're going to be here every Sunday at 10 a.m. for the next year, at least. And maybe more. Um, and so we've got, there's, they're not selling the place, just so you know. They're not selling this place. And um, and they actually like us being here. They, they were like, man, no, we love having a church meeting. So uh, we're excited for it. And... Um, we just look forward to a great a great partnership here with, with the school. So we're going to jump right into our lesson. Here as in heaven, this is um, this is going to be a five week look into the Lord's prayer. What is what is called the Lord's prayer? The words the Lord's prayer aren't actually in the Bible. That's the heading in your Bible above this part, but we call it the Lord's Prayer. And it's a powerful prayer. And I at first, I'm just going to warn you, it, it might sound like I'm I, I'm saying I'm speaking negatively of it. I promise you I'm not speaking negatively of it, but there are some things that we have done to it that have not been super great. And so we're gonna we're gonna dig into that. Let, let's look at it first. How about we just start with the scripture that we're gonna be spending the nice next month and some on? Matthew 6. We're going to do the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer, which is in verses 9 through 13. It goes, you could probably say this with your eyes closed. Maybe some of you would need to say it in KJV with your eyes closed. But it says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Guys, this prayer is beautiful. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's illuminating. But, if you're like me, and a lot of people, we have sucked the meaning out of this prayer. It has become almost like a chant. Almost like an incantation. Something that you can say without even thinking about it. And especially like the King James Version, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You can say that. Very it rolls off the tongue almost. Now it's a it's an amazing prayer. So yesterday was 9-11. And um, you know, I love I love the stories of 9-11, the, the, the heroism, just the heartbreak. They, You know, on, on United 93, they were using the air phones to call for help, and they, they, they prayed. The, 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 the dispatch operator pray, could hear them praying the Lord's Prayer and talking about uh, um, Psalm 23. And, and so in a time of great despair, a group of people, their heart went to hear. And that's good. That's good that they, that they felt that. Um, but what I'm talking about is, is us not in despair. Us, our normal, everyday lives. And if you grew up going to church, specifically more denominations than others might focus on this prayer more than others, but this is like, you can say this prayer while your brain is doing something else. I have prayed this prayer, while looking at the cute girl across the sanctuary when I was at middle school, like it's easy to, once you memorize it, once it just rolls off your tongue, you don't have to think about it, which is the opposite of what a meditative prayer should be. And so, what I want us to do is go through this. I want to spend the next month and a week, five weeks, we're going to go through this line by line. And so, today, we're going to look at our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We're going to spend this whole lesson on these eight words, okay? Then next week, we're going to look at what does it mean when we, say, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's going to be all of next week. And then after that, we're going to just keep going. We're going to do an entire lesson about daily bread. And if you're thinking, man, is that, can you do an entire lesson about daily bread? You can do an entire series about daily bread. And so we're going to dig into that. And then after that, we're going to talk about forgiveness, which might be one of the most convicting parts of this entire series. And then lastly, the last week, we're going to end with temptation. And so that's going to be the next five weeks. We're going to take the Lord's Prayer line by line. We're going, to, we're going to try to retrain our brain so that we don't just say it without thinking. We don't just, you know, say it out of rote memorization. Actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, after each lesson, I'm going to rewrite in my own words, according to my heart, what this means to me. And then at the end, I'll read you the whole prayer in the Ben-I-V, which is something that Jen and I like to do a lot. And so today we're talking about this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I've got three points. The three points are Father, heaven, and hallowed. So let's jump right in. Our Father. So Jesus uses in this prayer, um, Jesus uses the, the word, or what's written down in the Greek, is the, the formal Father, the pater, where we get paternity. And so uh, that is what Jesus is praying in this prayer, a more formal definition of Father. Okay? And here's some examples. Elder, ancestor, one who imparts life and is committed to it. A progenitor, bringing into being to pass on the potential for likeness. I love that. And that is what God is for us. Jesus doesn't only use that term, though. Jesus also uses the, uh, the, the more like familiar f- version of Father, Abba. This is the term of tender endearment. This is daddy. This is papa. This is an affectionate, intimate relationship, dependent. Like, this is, man, I want my dad. Um, And Jesus used both of these terms to describe God, okay? He didn't only ever use one. He clearly was comfortable using both. Actually, Abba is what he said in the garden when he was praying before the cross. Now, I'm going to make a broad overgeneralization here, okay? Are you ready for it? Women tend to be drawn in their hearts more towards the Abba Father, and men tend to push away from that a little. There are guys that if you, if I were to pray and I would be like, dear daddy God, there are guys that would be like, yeah, that's so weird. <laughs> now, now men tend to respect the more formal. And maybe you've thought about this, like the football coach idea of God, like the God's like, quit whining, son, and like get, snap out of it. And That's sometimes like, okay, that's what I like. That's when I think of God, I think of like the football coach God. Women tend to not like that so much. Like I don't want to think of God as my football coach. And that's a generalization. Maybe you're a woman and you're like, "I I love the more like aggressive, formal God. Maybe you're a dude and you're like, I love the more tender God. That's fine. We actually need to get good at appreciating both. Because God is both of them. But if you are on, if you are on the side where you're, if you're on the Abba side, so even just think right now, like where's your heart? If I said, pick one, the Potter or the Abba, pick one that your heart is kind of like geared towards. Like, yeah, I'm more of a father, not a daddy, kind of God, God. But maybe you're the other way around. So if you're kind of drawn more towards the Abba, if you want the, the tender, compassionate, affectionate daddy, uh, we need to ask ourselves a question: Is that then can you obey a sterner father? Because there's going to be times where that's God, and your lordship is going to have to stand just on its on its own without maybe the affection of a loving God. And can you obey kind of the stern father, or do you need? Does that not do it for you? When you feel like God is like that, then you're going to disobey. And guys, or the people on the other side, you have to ask yourself the alternate question. Can you obey a loving father? Or do you not respect that, that side of God? Do you feel like, eh, I need, I need something less loving if you're gonna get my respect? Because this is, it makes me feel weird. And so we need to understand that God is both. Now I'm gonna talk a lot about God as father and kind of relate it to me and my, my boys in a few sermons, especially when we talk about forgiveness. But just wanted to talk about father, that this is what Jesus was saying. And he was saying, he was saying, my dad, I'm the son of God, I I know him better than you, he's my dad, but he's also saying collectively. He's like, "This, this is our father. And so, that is where we're gonna start. I just want you to think about how you think of dad and how it relates to God. Now we're gonna get into some meat. Okay? Point number two. What is heaven? Guys, this is, a, this is a touchy subject. And I'm just going to be totally honest. I'm going to say something that Jen has repeatedly told me not to say multiple times. Um, when we think of heaven, like sometimes we think of this like glorious, beautiful golden city up in the clouds where there's music playing all the time, and harps and angels and streets of gold and no pain and all that stuff and it's it's this far off distant, perfect place now then that's one that's one idea of what heaven is. I'm not gonna like name names, but there are some there are some christian denominations that have a very different view of heaven and we kind of call that like the perfect earth that god is going to come and restore this place to be the way he created it and it's going to be beautiful and we're going to be hanging out at the park with all the wild animals and the you know all of that it's going to be amazing and jesus will be our president and he'll rule the whole world and and that is also a very concrete view of heaven and maybe you're thinking like, oh, I don't know what I believe. That's actually a pretty, that's not a bad thing to think. What, what do we think about heaven? Well, I was sitting down with a friend of mine who has a very staunch view of what heaven will be. And it is the perfect earth. And he was trying to convert me, I guess. And he was coming over to my house on the regular. And, and finally... He's, like, going hard on this. Like, you have to believe that this is how it's going to go. And what I said to him, and what I'm saying to all of you, and this is the thing that Jen doesn't want me to say, is that I don't care. I, I don't care what heaven is like, guys. Now, why, why is that? That's a, that sounds like a horrible thing for a minister to say well, this, this friend of mine, he had a very clear, solid, laid out definition of what heaven is like. And I said, well, what if it's not like that? He said, well, it is. Oh, it is. And I said, okay, that's cool. If it's like that, I'm all for it. And he said, well, it is like that. I said, great. If it's like that, I kept putting that if on there. If it's like that, it's not, I'm, I'm down. I will enjoy it. But if it's not like that... I'm going to enjoy that too. And this is where it gets tricky. So my view of my relationship with God has a lot to do with the relationship. It has very little to do with me getting something after I die. Okay? Does that make sense? And and whatever whatever happens whether, whether Jesus comes back now in judgment and we're all alive and we get to witness it with our, hand, with, our, with our own eyes firsthand, I'll be like, this is crazy. I didn't see that coming. Sign me up. Like, this is great. Whatever it is, there's nothing that Jesus or God can do after in the age to come that I will complain about. There's nothing that God will do that I will say, no, 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 no. You did it wrong. You messed it up. It's supposed to be, where's the streets of gold? Or if it's the perfect dirt, I'm going to be like, wait, is it supposed to be up in the clouds somewhere? Am I going to complain about what heaven ends up being? Not at all. And hopefully neither will you. The most important thing is that Our relationship with God is good when all that stuff goes down but this idea of I don't care what heaven is like if it is some like far off distant cloudy place or if it's this if if God comes back and says hey guys you know what sin messed up the perfect thing that I made I'm gonna restore it and you all are gonna enjoy it I'll be like sweet didn't see that coming but that sounds awesome let's do it God but here's my, here's my problem, is that we sometimes get so wrapped up in this idea, especially this one, of this heaven as being this far-off thing. Heaven is this thing that if you live a good life, when you die, this is your reward. And I want to reframe what heaven is, okay, this morning. I, wanna, I want us to think about heaven in a slightly different way. Heaven is just wherever God is. If God says, hey, I'm over here, and when you're done with life on earth, you're going to come where I am, I'll be like, sweet, I call that heaven. And if God were to say, hey, guys, I'm going to make the earth perfect again, restore it like I did at the beginning, and I'm going to come down there. I'll be like, sweet, I'm going to call this heaven because I'm in your presence and heaven is wherever God is. And I want to be there. But this then brings us to the like convicting part of this. So I want to talk about moving towards God and moving away from God. Can you see that? There are parts of, of who God is that draw us towards him. And then there's things that that we pull and move away from God. And so things like I'm just going to I just made a short list. Things like truth versus falsehood. Do you love the truth? And do you speak the truth? And do you you know reject falsehood? If you if you re- accept the truth, if you love the truth, you're moving towards God because God is truth. But if you if you speak falsehood, you're moving away from God, because God is the God of truth. And in the same way, humility. If you are a humble person, you are being drawn towards God, you are not rejecting God. If you are prideful, you are rejecting God. If you show others mercy, then you are moving towards God. But if your whole system of justice is based on punishment, then you are moving away from God. And if you embrace wisdom, you are moving towards God. If you embrace folly, you are moving away from God. And then finally, if, you're, if your life is based on love, you are moving towards God. If your life is based on hate or embraces hate, you are moving away from God. I hope this isn't like radically, like, Ben, I've never heard that before. That's so, like, earth-shatteringly unique. This is not unique. But here's where I really want to hammer this on. Because we're talking about heaven. You need to then ask yourself, do I desire heaven? Or am I rejecting heaven? And you're like, well, heaven is the thing after I'm dead. That's where I want to change our minds. Because you can... You can want the pearly gates after life is over and yet live your entire life rejecting heaven. Every day I'm going to wake up and make choices that push heaven away from me. And then when I die, I'm going to say, where's my heaven? And God's going to go, "Like you clearly showed me you didn't want this. Like, this isn't like, what am I supposed to think as your God? Every day I watch you. Push me away and reject the thing that I am trying to build. And now you want it? And so what I'm trying to do is take this thing. Like we have, we've, we put all of these things far away from us. We put all of this responsibility away from us. And it stays out there. And guys, this is what I'm saying is it's easy to stay out there. It's easy to live. Just like it's easy to repeat the prayer and not think about the prayer. It's easy to, to have heaven be there. It's never here. Heaven is never about my choices. It's always just some far-off, distant prize at the end of the finishing one. And so here's my question for us. Is that what I want? I, do I want a distant place more than a daily commitment to obey? It's easy to say you want heaven as long as it's far away. It's like, this is great. This is what I want. When I die, I want eternal life and glory and have no more problems. But here, I want to do what I want to do, and I want to live the life that I want to live. It's harder to say you want heaven when your life shows everyone that you reject all the qualities that heaven embodies. And so we need to think about this. So for me, what is heaven? physically, tangibly. What color is it? What does it smell like? I don't care. My goal in life is to be reunited with my creator. And whoever he is, that's where I want to be. I'm going to call that place heaven, whatever it looks like. But today, I'm going to try to make choices that bring God closer to me, bring heaven closer to me, embody the things that heaven is going to be like now. And we're going to talk about that next week when we talk about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so here's where I'm going to end this. We're going to talk about a hallowed name. What does it mean to be hallowed? In, the, in Matthew, that, that word is hagiato, and it's the Greek word for sanctified, sanctification. It means set apart as holy, and Jesus says, God, let that thing, that, that sanctified, that holy, that honored, let that thing happen to your name. Okay? Well, let's look, because this is a common theme throughout the scriptures. If you just do a basic Bible word search of, of the name, like name, N-A-M-E, type it into your app, and just look, especially in the Psalms. Oh my gosh. Dozens and dozens of instances where there they are desiring that God's name be lifted up. And this goes all the way back to, we're going to do a midweek lesson on some of the Ten Commandments. And one of them, probably the weirdest, most misunderstood one, is don't use God's name in vain. And so we have accepted that and, and taught it for generations saying, like, don't say, oh my God. Like, don't say that because you're using God's name in vain. Guys, that is so much deeper than that saying don't hold up god's name in a way that when other people look at it they're not going to also then hold it up and glorify it and magnify it and so we now can live in a way where you know we hold up god's name and yet when people look at it they don't think anything about god let's let's show you some examples this is what god says in ezekiel 38 He says, I will display my greatness and holiness and will reveal myself in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am Yahweh, his name. And God says, what I'm going to do, hey guys, just a heads up, I'm going to do some things. So that my name is revealed glorified and magnified. And when when people see what I do, they're going to go, yep, that is Yahweh. And then he wants us to do things to display his greatness that will make his name known. In fact, Paul, Paul, when he becomes a, a disciple, Ananias is the guy that was tasked with converting him. And Ananias is like, "Not, nah, I don't want to go near that guy. That guy straight up murders people. And God says, nope, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name To the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so God is saying, like, no, Ananias, do this. This guy, I'm going to use him. He is going to proclaim my name. He's going to go all over the world, and he's going to tell people who I am. And here's the bummer, it's going to come at a cost, a great personal cost to him. He says that Paul is going to learn what that looks like. If you live in a way that hallows, that sanctifies, that lifts up and sets apart as holy than everything else, that hallows God's name. The downside is it will not be comfortable. And think about the times in your life where you have done the best at hallowing God's name, holding up God's name in a way that other people see you and glorify God. It's usually not when you're indulging in your own schedule, plan, comfort, everything else. And when we do that, when we live our lives for us and stop caring about God, then that's where people look at us and there's no connection between what they see in us and God. If my life is revealing who God is and it results in God's glory and it magnifies his name, That means something. And then Paul goes on to try to teach this to other people. Years later, he writes the the book of Romans. Half the people he's talking to are very religious, the Jewish half, are very religious. And they think that, hey, we know God better than everybody else. And he starts to yell at them a little bit. And this is what he says in 221. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you not dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. His scathing rebuke is that they are doing the opposite of hallowing God's name. They are doing the opposite of lifting up and revealing and glorifying and magnifying God's name. They are living in such a way that when people look at them, they think God is stupid. And So then that makes us ask the same question. When people look at me, what do they think of God? And in our In our sneaky ways, we all have sneaky ways, we want that answer to be nothing, okay? We want people to look at us and not think of God. When we're being righteous and we're being spiritual and we wanna be a good example, we do want people to look at us and think that God is good and God is great and God loves us and God's awesome. But we rarely get to control what they think of God. Like we don't get to tell them All we get to do is show them through the way we live. And so sometimes they look at us and they think, well, this this joker already invited me out to church. I know he goes to church every Sunday. And yet, I'm looking at the way he's living now. So you've already formed this connection between you and God. And you've put it on display. And this is why our example is so important. Because we're like, hey, in my times where I'm strong, I'm like, hey, yeah, you, like, I love God, I read my Bible, or whatever. I'm a spiritual person, I'm a religious person, I, you want to come to church with me? Any way, shape, or form that we connect ourselves to God. And now, forever, our actions are going to start reflecting on God. And so, we need to take on this responsibility. Do I want... God's holy name, to be revealed, glorified, and magnified? And the, the, the easy answer is yes. I want that to happen. I just don't want to be the one that has, is responsible to do it. I want someone else to do it. And, and usually the way this works is I want God to do it all on his own without me. So if I were to say, do you want God's name to be glorified? Yes, I want God's name to be glorified. Do you want to live in a way where people are going to look at you and then decide whether to glorify God? No, I don't want that. That's too much pressure on me. And God's like, exactly. That's my whole plan. All throughout the Old Testament. (laughs) And here's what's scary. Do I, am I brave enough to pray this when I think about the Lord's prayer? Am I I dumb enough to be so bold as to invite God to put me in situations where I'll have the opportunity to display his name? Hallowed be thy name. Is meaningless. Like it, it just rolls off the top. Hallowed be that name. It doesn't mean anything anymore. We need to slow down. We need to think about it. The next level is, God, I hope people respect your name. That's, that's nice. It, it means a little more, but it's easy because it has nothing to do with us. God use me to show people how great you are. That's the scarier prayer. Is that what we're praying when we pray Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Are we we asking for a certain level of responsibility as we partner with God? God, do the scary thing to me so that I can show people how awesome you are. Be honest. Have you prayed that recently? That's a scary, scary prayer. And so, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So for the rest of this series, we're going to be looking at the prayer. This is the, this is the most famous prayer in the Bible. This is the prayer that Jesus used to teach his disciples how to pray. But we need to zoom in. We're going to take it line by line. We need to zoom in so that it doesn't become this chant, this incantation, this, like, this string of syllables that we can stay in our sleep. We need to keep reminding ourselves... To like wake up and focus on the things that we're actually saying when we pray this prayer. This prayer is so powerful. It's beautiful and scary, but it's so powerful. And we need to talk to God. And what we need to do is allow him to like put some responsibility on our shoulders. And we need to be okay with that. We need to invite it. So like this prayer is actually an invitation. God, I'm ready to partner with you. We need to make sure that we don't just pray it and keep our distance. This whole prayer can be a, God, do this over there. Let me see it from over here at a comfortable distance. But what we need to do is we need to partner with God. We need to pray this prayer in a way that asks God, like my son. If I was busy working in the shop and I didn't want to be bothered, nothing would break me down faster than Everett or Freddie coming out and be like, Hey, Dad, can I help And I'd be like, of course you can help. Like, I want you to help me. I don't need your help, but I love that you asked. We need to say that to God. Hey, Dad, can I help? So here's my, here's the way I rewrite this this first part of the prayer. Loving Dad and Father, I want to be in your presence now and in the age to come. I want your name to be glorified and magnified in my heart and in the hearts of all people everywhere. Use me so that my life lifts up your name. And what I want us to do is be a church of people where we partner with each other so that we collectively can partner with God and achieve this. Amen? Thank you, guys. And with that, Jen Weatherston is going to do our communion today.